What's going on? You already know it's GK. What is going on? Just had a very intense week of uh, Sashin celebrating the uh, passing away of the Buddha. The power of Nirvana. Something that um, I don't think that I've spoken about here is that I've become very, very interested in the Pali Canon, and I've been listening to the long discourses. I recently got my hands on um, a translation of the middle discourses, and I've been uh, listening to them. I prefer listening to them than reading them. It's very difficult to read. Um, and as far as I understand, of course, they were designed to be proclaimed orally, I should think. So there's a lot of repetition, and um, the repetition helps uh, to memorize many of these phrases. So you start to hear these things over and over and over and over and over. You start to almost chant along, um, you know, Ananda or the Buddha, whoever's talking. And, you know, you just have fun with it. That's part of the... It's part of the fun for me, part of the the enjoyment of listening to these things. Um, so I was able to listen to the Mahaparinibbana Sutta on the Buddha's extinguishment and to share it with some people here at the monastery. It was really lovely. So I've been making it a weekly offering. So every week we listen to um, some discourse. So tomorrow night we'll be listening to something. We don't know what. I have many recommendations, many things that, uh, and other things that I'd like to listen to. But we'll see. You know, we'll show up. We'll see who's there. We'll take a little vote and um, uh, listen to something together. It's really very beautiful um, to be uh, practicing in a monastic setting and to listen to the words of the Buddha. Um, at least the oldest recorded source of the words of the Buddha. You know, I don't, I couldn't possibly believe that the Buddha spoke those exact words, but it's kind of the best we got. We have other, you know, the other old sources. I'm very interested, I've become very interested in really looking at the core, the core uh, teachings, because Buddhism is always so much simpler than it seems people make it out to be. Um, and I've been connecting with what might even seem like very extreme views to some people ab about Buddhism. You know, like I don't, I don't see the point in, in or or a need in, in believing like the truth of reincarnation. You know, there are many stories. But when I look at the, you know, the, the core teachings of what 
awakening is. There doesn't need to be a world in which reincarnation happens. That's just one particular description of reality, of, you know, what happens after death. And it makes sense on, on some level, you know, because after all, in a way, our bodies are regenerated, they're, they're reused, they're taken uh, by the earth and just kind of repurposed in, in some way. Um, and who knows what happens to this thing, this other thing that doesn't quite seem to be 100% body that uh, is speaking these words, for example. So where does that go? Right. I... I have no idea, but um, when it comes to the core teachings of the Buddha, I don't think that there there has to be any definitive statement about what happens to that after death for the teaching of the Buddha to make sense. At its most basic, at its most simple, the Buddha gave us a way to change our relationship with experience from one of bitterness and suffering into one of love and acceptance. So any given experience that I have, if I accept it fully, really, really dive into it intimately with tenderness, love, then I can be at peace. I can be at peace with any experience. And wisdom arises out of it, right? Because if I start to notice, for example, like something that I learned this week, which was a connection that I had never made before. Which is that I experience negative sensations and then I blame other people for my negative sensations, for my painful sensations, unpleasant sensations. Now, obviously, this makes no sense at all. It, there's no reason why anyone would do this but 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 I'm doing it I have been doing it my whole life this is something it's just a pattern it makes absolutely no sense but this is how these habits uh, that's just how they work you know I experience an unpleasant sensation and I blame someone else I had never made that connection before it's incredible, like how much trouble I get myself into, how much suffering and bitterness I put myself through just because an unpleasant sensation arose within my experience. So instead of going into the sensation as its own thing, acknowledging it, accepting it, embracing it completely, and just absorbing it, drinking it, integrating it, allowing it to express itself to be. I, I blame and criticize others. So, sometime before Sashin, a few days before, maybe a week before, no, I, I think uh, just a few days before, not, not a whole week, I began to notice that the kind of practice that I always want to do is one in which um, there is no past and no future. Uh, 
And what I mean by that is uh, really diving into the present moment with a deep, deep, wordless uh, surrender. And I realized that I have been doing this for years, but not in my meditation, not in my meditation practice, not during Zazen, not in the Zendo. Um, I had been doing it in sleep, like to fall asleep. I'll just lay there and really surrender into any sensations that come up, even if they're unpleasant. And I know that I'm perfectly safe because I'm just, you know, I'm in bed. So, of course, I happen to be living indoors and I have a bed and a good, you know, comfortable uh, climate control technology available to me, which helps, and I'm very grateful for that. But I, I had been doing the practice that I had been looking for. Um, and I often want to escape the spiritual life in order to do that practice. This is something that came up for me during uh, Rohatsu Sishin back in December. You know, the desire to escape the spiritual container in order to, quote-unquote, properly practice spirituality. So, I, I'm in the Zendo, and I decide, well, let's just do that. Let's do that practice, the one where I fully dive in to what comes up without a story about the future, without a story about the past, without a story about myself, without a story about anybody else. Really, really dive into experience. You know, kind of erasing the whole world in a way. The only thing that exists is experience. Whatever experience maybe and the result was this incredible incredible peace and playfulness and joy that emerged from that space it was absolutely incredible for the entire retreat for the entire session i was just in this place of peace and realization that i had never known that, that I didn't even think could be held for so long and, and, and so intensely. And then the very last three hours, I went in the total opposite direction. Now, I didn't realize this at the time, but I, was, I had a stomach ache and I had uh, pain in my gut. It was really, really unpleasant, really sticky, and I experienced a lot of hatred and judgment of, of myself, of my practice, and others. You know, and, and all of these things, of course, are stories. They need a past and a future. They, it's, it's not something that, can, that exists in the present. In the present, I only have access to the sensation. I have to dream into existence with my mind, a past and a future you know, a story, an evaluation about Sashin, for example, about my practice, about who I am, about who other people are and, you know, why they're, why I should be yelling at them in my mind or whatever. 
I completely went into this place of suffering and I just felt everything from my life just come back up. Everything, every horrific uh, crisis, you know, the inner critic and, and all of its intensity just completely overwhelmed me. And I was so brutally disappointed. And I just forgot. I forgot and somehow forgot what I had been doing the entire time. That, that basic practice, that wordless surrender that I had been cultivating, to which I had been conditioning my mind to, to fall into, to fall back on, especially in times of unpleasantness, of unpleasant sensation and pain and um, difficult emotions. It was a tough, tough night. And on the very, very end of the session as well, I was just beside myself with rage and confusion. And then, as you would expect, because of impermanence, the whole thing subsided and everything was fine. And I was able to just to notice what had happened how caught up I had gotten in this story about Sashin, this evaluation. You know, uh, uh, why? I never needed that. That had no... had nothing to do with, with, what, with what was coming up with, the, with my experience itself. I just bought into it. So... I um, have been going back into this, the same practice. It's the way that I have described it. Um, here at the monastery, we talk a lot about something called a, a rebound effect from retreats, where um, we feel very spacious and open and free during a retreat. during a session and then when it's over we may become very upset um, because it's gone or we just completely indulge in whatever um, sense desire had been held at bay during session because of its structure and um, I just put myself through that whole thing in the last two hours Three, two and a half, three hours. The last three hours of session, it was incredibly painful. And why would I do such a thing to myself? You know, I just... Incredible. So I feel very inspired to continue giving life to this, really, really diving into this taking full responsibility for for my experience, loving everything that I experience, 
drinking the wisdom out of everything that I experience, everything in each moment, in each breath, each footstep, everything. I mean, everything is, is freedom. Freedom is right here. So even as I breathe, I can dive into, I can dive into the world as I experience it within my body, within my sensation, this present moment. Fully accept it, relax into it. with no hesitation, no need to hold back anything from this life. This is how I sat during this session. This is how I walked and this is how I slept and this is how I rang the bell. My favorite part of of working as um, the bell ringer, the timekeeper, is you get to offer incense to the altar. So you get to bow to the Buddha on the altar a few times a day. That was my favorite part of the job, for sure. And also knowing how much time we have left in any given period. Um, yeah, it helps relax the mind a bit. But my favorite part was just being able to commune with the with the Buddha every single time, every single day, a few times a day. That was my favorite part. Just bowing quietly. Thank you, Master Gautama. Thank you to the ascetic. Thank you. Thank you for your hard work. So interesting to think what it would be like what would it have been like to be there? Walk around and talk to the Buddha, give him food, hear a Dharma talk from the Buddha himself. Would have been pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. So what else do I have to say? We watched documentary tonight about the process of selecting, finding and selecting, and then testing a candidate for a reincarnated uh, Rinpoche in uh, Nepal. In the uh, Gaelic tradition. So I watched this movie two or three times back in Puerto Rico when I lived in Puerto Rico back in uh, twenty. 13, 2014, 2015. 
And I loved it very, very much. I found it incredibly inspiring. And then I watched it twice here when I lived here back in 2015, 2016. And we watched it again tonight. And I was uh, very shocked. Um, I feel very conflicted about what is being done to this child, being taken away from his family at the age of four or five, I think. I think four. You know, I don't feel like I can support that. I, you know, don't think I agree with, with what I saw. But he's probably 20 years old at this point. It's a really beautiful movie. I consider it one of my favorites, really, you know, top 10. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't think I like what I saw. I don't like what I saw. Basically, child abuse. I don't think that's a very extreme description. Anyway, I'll, I'll sleep on it. It's not extremely important that I, you know, make a definitive decision about how I feel about this movie. I was just surprised. Surprised by what I noticed come up in myself in regard to this movie, which I had always considered so inspiring and so beautiful. Yeah, it is inspiring. It is inspiring to to start practicing in it. It's a beautiful education as well. I don't know, but involving children like this in a way where so many things can go wrong. Yeah, oh, I don't know. It's kind of bothered me. So that's what I have to say about that. I um, feel very inspired otherwise. Um, to continue to listen to the discourses from the Diga Nikaya. Now I got my hands on the Majjama Nikaya. And we'll see what that's like. We'll see what those are like. You know, what comes up there. What can I learn from those? It's really very beautiful to share. I don't know if I shared this earlier. And I'm not going to go back and listen to it because that's just kind of how I record these things. I just, you know, one take and ship it. <laughs> no clipping, just shipping. Anyway, um, we have many uh, arguments here, like in a monastic community, which I think is very normal. You know, many disagreements, let's call them disagreements about how to do things, who's practicing correctly and who isn't. How do you... Um, set the bar for how much should you ask of yourself. And how easy should you be on yourself? For example, and um, it's beautiful to notice how in many cases the Buddha had these conversations with, uh, with his own disciples, with lay disciples, with monks, or with um, people in other spiritual traditions, other spiritual seekers, 
Um, and I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not definitive just because it's in the Diganikaya. I mean, it, this is not a Theravadan monastery after all. This is not a Thai forest monastery after all. You know, it's a, a Zen monastery. We do the Zen stuff. We follow the Bodhisattva precepts. We don't follow the Pradimoka, the Vinaya. Well, we don't follow the Theravada Vinaya. I don't know if I'm using these terms correctly, but just, you know, bear with me. Um, I am but a learner. Um, but it, it, it still means something to me. It still means something. One of my favorite examples is uh, um, uh, related to austerities um, in the longer discourse on the lion's roar from the Dignikaya. The Buddha had a conversation with Mahakasapa, who is, you know, supposedly the first ancestor of Zen. Um, the um, Mahakasapa received the Zen transmission from, um, you know, from the Buddha himself, Gautama Shakyamuni Buddha. Supposedly, I mean, this is not, it's not a historical truth to me but it's fine you know like uh, i can take it it's a beautiful story anyway maha kasapa the naked ascetic is really hard on himself is really hard on his body for the sake of spiritual seeking and he asks the buddha this question of who who is practicing correctly i see all these people who do these mortifications these ascetics who are so hard on themselves. They're, I mean, they're just brutalizing their body, refusing to eat, refusing to acknowledge human language, walking on all fours like a dog, naked, covered in ashes, or whatever the case may be. Are they practicing correctly? And then all these ascetics who are not very hard on themselves, who kind of give themselves an easy time, are they practicing correctly? Who's doing the right thing? And the Buddha says to him that the difference between a practitioner who bears good fruit and one who bears bad fruit, you know, these are my words, not his. The difference is that the practitioner who bears good fruit practices with love in their heart and with wisdom in their mind. And the way that I receive this is that any practice that we engage in with love in our heart and wisdom bears good fruit. And that is how I try to, to practice all the time, to practice anything. So that's fine, right? Like that's beautiful. But then I get stuck because I start judging other people's practice. You know? Why? Why am I doing this? So I want to keep looking at this. Um, and this is what, this is, you know, to tie it back to what I learned during this retreat, during this week, this session, which is I experience a negative sensation. I immediately blame and criticize the other person. I know that the wisest part of me is aware that 
I am fully responsible for everything that I experience, and yet I get stuck here at this little point. And so, like I said, I have a negative sensation. Immediately, I aim it outwards, and I criticize, and I judge. So maybe my question here at this juncture is, when I notice someone practicing in a way that I disagree with, or a way that I think is, eh, yeah, just a way that I disagree with. I see someone practicing in a way that I disagree with. I experience, you know, a cringing, right? A, a, a pushing back, a pulling back of, ugh, you know, like, oh, I don't want that. That is, that ain't good. That is an uncomfortable sensation. And then I blame them for it. I cause myself to suffer with this. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. It's been a full week, and I'm looking forward to go to bed. I'm very tired. I like staying up late, though. Until next time.